Do you think there's more or less risk of an eye injury than getting coronavirus from playing basketball? With so an eye injury without goggles versus getting coronavirus without masks. I don't mask. know. <laughs> I, I I just thought of that as you were talking about it. I, I thought you know even when I go to watch the kids' games, I I'm like, man, all these kids should have should have safety goggles on. Uh, and I'm not yeah. that adamant. I mean, I should be more adamant with my patients about it, even if they don't have prescriptions to wear something. They pr- there's probably right now there's probably a higher risk of getting coronavirus than an eye injury. Uh, and I, and I say that because of all of the basketball games I've been to over the last. Uh, yeah. You've 12, never seen it. 12 years. I've not seen an eye injury uh, yet. People are getting coronavirus. So are they getting them for playing basketball? Probably at least somewhat. I would guess. I would guess that's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I. I think of. I, I was just thinking through, like, if you get a finger to the eye and you get a retinal, you know, something retinal going on, it's a severe trauma. Uh, your more your morbidity as a child playing basketball is probably going to be worse with an ocular trauma than it will be from coronavirus. Absolutely. Absolutely. But but I mean, it, we, obviously, your ocular trauma is not going to spread to somebody else. Of course, I get that. It's just, it's just interesting to, it, as I, as I'm thinking through that, it's like, we probably should be more adamant with our patients after coronavirus, you know, to be like, this is something you really need to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Probably be more diligent anyway. Uh, um, I'm super diligent. I don't know what you're talking about. Are you? <laughs> uh, sometimes, uh, one of my patients, uh, one of my ortho in patients. patients who don't wear glasses at all, or don't wear contacts at all. Ah, uh, not them. Not as much as I should be. No. Yeah. But so I even talk. I talk a lot it. about. I talk a lot about um, concussion protection with my soccer players, like making sure they're wearing a concussion headband and stuff. I recommend that. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't have anything to do with eyes, but I, I still well, care can. about their brains. Yeah, it absolutely can. Well, it I mean, can. Yes, yeah. it can. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyways, talk. Seriously, my watch is That's... talking to me. <laughs> Does Don't your watch ever just talk during exams? So, no, uh-uh. I turn that off. Mine is on silent. I swear to God, it is on <laughs> silent. But still, sometimes it picks up. Dr. Chapman, that is the wrong treatment for herpes simplex. <laughs> you do not want a steroid for epithelial disease. No, usually it'll say something like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. I have a, my watch is a, a Australian. Australian. Oh, that's Aussie. Yeah. Okay. And, and so it'll say, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Can you repeat that? <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, nice. And it's a male, male Siri, male Australian Siri. Okay. Uh, yeah. I didn't know that was an option. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's, 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 uh, it, when I'm getting directions on, um, on maps, it uh, has me go to the car park instead of a parking lot. Uh-huh. So, so it uses it my even Australian. changes the dialect. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that makes it really fun. <laughs> okay. That would, that would be better. <laughs> Much better. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Cheryl Chapman about myopia management, axial length, uh, assessing fees and how to structure those fees. We talked about uh, managed vision care plans and how to incorporate those or uh, remove them from your practice. It's a really fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, and share it with your friends. And support those who support us. We've been providing myopia control treatments in our practice for years. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, CooperVision has received FDA approval of its innovative MySight one-day contact lens. This will be the cornerstone of a comprehensive myopia management approach to be offered by CooperVision. This daily wear, single-use contact lens is the first and only FDA-approved product clinically proven to slow the progression of myopia when initially prescribed for children 8 to 12 years old and when compared to children in the control group wearing a single-vision one-day contact lens. Check out the show notes for all the specific prescribing details and to get more information about this lens and how you can begin to offer it in your practice.
so, uh, so I, so you know, you and I have had conversations about um, myopia management a ton, and the, um, you know, the thing that I, I wanted to have you on and kind of pick your brain about is, is well, myopia, myopia management in general, but also specifically axial length and where you're finding it valuable as a clinician. And you probably heard, um, and you and I have talked about this, but just, you know. Um, there are there sort of seems to be this like one side that that likes to say you got to do axial length and one side that says you don't have to do it and i tend to think and i'm not trying to put you in any of these boxes because i don't know honestly which one which one you're in um, except to say that i know you you've put a lot of value in it but um i see people and i don't think you're this type of person um because i can say that because i know you well enough to say that but i see people where i get the feeling that they're talking so heavily about axial length to make myopia management more complex than it needs to be so that you have to send them your patients because it's too hard for you to do that's the sense i get from some people who talk about axial length so i'm not asking you to throw those people under the bus i'm just saying like that that makes me a little leery of of saying you gotta do it because i don't think you have to so I definitely would not throw those people under the bus. Um, I would say that anybody who comes off that way um, to you is probably just so passionate and they're maybe just not expressing themselves in a way that comes across um, effectively. Um, because my experience with people who are really passionate about, uh, passionate about the axial length measurements is if you really um, watch some of their conversation threads as they go back and forth, um, it's like they've had this epiphany, <clears throat> especially if you are talking about maybe a person who has done myopia management for a very, very long time and for a long time did it without axial length. And then when they started to introduce axial length, they'll say things like, I just, I didn't know what I didn't know. Like it was so eye opening for me. And I, and I think that, um, that's what I found because when I started myopia management, I did not have an IOL master. And I thought I was, you know, trucking along okay. But then once I got my, my IOL master and I started measuring axial length, I was just like, wow, like this decision I would have made differently without that information. Um, can you, can you give me an example of that? So I think the biggest example would just be atropine. Uh, when I started using atropine, it was before the lamp study came out and I was using 0.01%, like a lot of folks were. And um, I thought I was doing okay. I thought I was controlling myopia. Because you and were just controlling refractive error? Because I was just controlling refractive error. And then when I got the IOL master and I started incorporating that, I was seeing the axial length shoot up. And then uh, I was like, well, I'm going to increase their atropine. So I would go up to like a 0.02% or a 0.03% because that, uh, those uh, percentages were available at my pharmacy. And uh, I would not stop increasing it until I saw axial length stabilize. And uh, so that's how I started treating um, patients with atropine. And uh, a little bit later on down the road, the LAMP study came out and it was really interesting to me, but not surprising to see the um, discrepancies between um, spherical equivalent and axial length. Um, when it came to those different concentrations of atropine, because I had already seen it myself clinically, and I wouldn't have known that uh, if I hadn't started measuring axial length. Um, you know, when so do you think? So did did axial length? When you see it, think about that. So if we take that back to where you're not using axial length yet, so in your in your myopia management practice, and would you say that like? axial length was preceding refractive error by three months, six months, 12 months, like where you were seeing axial length, it, it, you know, axial elongation, but the refractive error was staying relatively stable. Um, and then all of a sudden you see, so like how far in the process, if you're just using refraction, are you missing the opportunity to intervene differently? I think, I think just as really an estimate. Yeah. It's just hard for me to answer Chris, because I just probably don't have enough clinical experience uh, I don't have a high enough number of cases over a long enough period of time to answer it very effectively. Mm -hmm. um, so I would guess, I would guess at least, at least 12 months. Um, so you'd see it in a year before. Uh, maybe. You'd see I mean, I'm, I'm guessing a year before. 
Okay. I'm, I'm really guessing, but yeah, I mean, it's not like, it's definitely not three months, Yeah. but I don't think it's five years. Yeah. Do you think no. it's like, um, so it's, you know, you could probably think about it something like the difference between a structural and a functional change in a patient who has glaucoma, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, obviously this, this would be a structural change that you would naturally think precedes a functional change of where the light is focused. Maybe that's one way to think about it. But why wouldn't it be a one to an automatic one to one relationship? You mean spherical equivalent and axially? Right. Uh, like because, what other? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, because um, think about atropine. What do we know about atropine's mechanism of action? Well, we have about eight different theories, right? Right. Right. Uh, so we do know that in myopia management, and not just with atropine, but with other methods as well, we do know that we get that um, choroidal thickening, right? Right. So, um, you can have, okay. So it's really interesting when I start patients on atropine and I'm measuring their axial length, they will very frequently measure with a shorter axial length after you start their treatment. Right. Cause the choroid thickens and pushes because the, because yeah. the choroid thickens. Um, and so if you're only measuring refraction, what I, when I started, what I was often seeing was that after they started their atropine therapy, they would come back and they would not, maybe they were a minus 1.25 initially. And then when they came back for their follow-up, they measured a minus one. And, yeah. and then it's like, oh. Are, you, are well, you attributing that all to choroidal, sorry to interrupt, but are you tr- attributing that all to choroidal thickening or any amount to just relaxing accommodative? Okay, so I'm not, it's not relaxation of accommodation because I did a cycloplegic refraction okay. before so I started that. Okay. So my, so maybe, so my baseline, if my baseline refraction, I have set it at a minus 1.25 for that patient. And then they come back three months later and they measure a minus one. Like, what are we, we assume? Oh, I must've over minus them. Right? right. But I didn't because I started with a cycloplegic refraction, but I guarantee that that goes through doctor's minds all the time. Like, Oh, I must've minus, I must've over minus this patient or, Oh, their subjective response was one way this way or one way that way. Um, but I saw it all the time, like yeah, well, they were measuring sense. less minus. So that's part of it. So then let's say if you are not measuring axial length and you're doing that refraction and you start them with a min- at, at a minus 1.25 and you see them back at minus one, and then you see them back at minus 1.25, six months later, then you think, oh, they're really, they're stable. No, they've just progressed a quarter. Hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. now now with choroidal thickening, they're measuring minus 1.25. So is zero, is zero progression your acceptable amount? Zero. <laughs> yeah. uh, in a perfect world, maybe. Um, but no, I think if you listen to Jeffrey Cooper, I, um, I listen to a lot of um, what he has to say. And I'm really excited that we're, you know, getting more information on axial length all the time in terms of new studies that are coming out. And they're starting to develop, you know, some more normal like growth charts and such. Um, but I, I listened to a lot of what he says uh, and put a lot of weight in that. Um, and uh, what he has said uh, in the past, and I haven't heard anything different recently, is that um, if the eye increases length by 0.06 millimeters in a three-month period um, that, or less than that, then that is normal. But more than that would be more than you would expect. Right. And so, <clears throat> well, I think... Um... I think the case, I think you're, again, I'm, I'm digging for personally for reasons where I would say, I, I really need to do this, right? I need to, I need to measure axial length of my myopia patients. Um, and I, and I'm, I mean, I'm close, but I've been close for a long time. So my, my default, as I've told you before, is like, I'm on the fence and my default on the fence is to do nothing, right? To do nothing different, right? So, um, so let's, so let's go, go down that path. And so you've got your patient that essentially has progressed by a click over three, three months or six months, but you're basing whether or not you're making the determination to increase therapy, whether it's atropine or, I mean, really that would be the only way that you, that would be the only way you'd increase it. Or maybe you'd increase maybe a soft lens, um, and increase the amount of peripheral plus you're giving that patient or, or add plus that you're giving that patient, or maybe you, you might, for your ortho K patients, you may change your, um, your, uh, 
your optical zone diameter so that you're making it smaller to get more peripheral plus. Like those would be the things you'd be thinking of to say, okay, we've had this click of progression or maybe the 0 0.06 millimeter progression larger than that, then um, it's time to do, to do something else. Like you're saying my treatment isn't enough. I've got to stabilize this more. Is yeah, that correct? Absolutely. Uh, yes, yes, that is correct. So um, there's, I mean, there's all sorts of ways you can play the game. Maybe if they're a soft multifocal contact lens wear, if appropriate, maybe you switch them to ortho K or maybe you do a dual therapy and you add atropine on top of that. Um, and you know, with regards to ortho K um, with the more customizable software design lenses, it's not only that we can adjust that treatment zone size, it's that we can also adjust the depth of that return zone um, for that st stronger peripheral power profile. Um, there's so many ways that you can play with that. Um, I, have, uh, I have one patient, I might have two patients, I think, that are on both OrthoK and atropine. Um, you know, it's just, it's really cool um, that we can combine these therapies for increased effectiveness. Um, you know, and I do think that um, axial length is most valuable with regards to treating atropine. Um, but I find not, it not to even be, ortho K. Well, most most valuable with regards to atropine, but um, I have found it to be useful with ortho K as well because you know that ortho K refraction can sometimes be so variable based on what time of day. Uh, you're seeing them back or again, those subjective responses and we're not, I'm not cycloplegian them at every follow-up. Um, you know, so, uh, I've had, I, I had one patient, um, that progressed in axial length and, uh, you know, I was, I was chatting with my, um, specialty contact lens technician about it. And I was like, look at this. If we didn't have their axial length, we wouldn't have known this was happening. Uh, you know, and so it's just, it's just interesting like I'd say, Chris, once, once you get your axial length measurement, you are going to love it. And you're going to wish you had done it sooner. No, it's like, I, I understand it. I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I, and, and I, I completely understand why you, you'd say that. I mean, I, I think about just, um, my epiphany on, on pressing out of my bomian gland when I was in my fourth year of optometry school at the scleral depressor and watching what comes out. And I was like, it was just mine. And then I can't, I can't not see a patient now and not focus on, on the lids and not even want to yeah. push on the lids, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. not just push, but like, get out of, you know, get out of a strata paddle and numb <laughs> them up and let's go, you know? So I, I, I told, I'm there, you know, like once you, once you, um, you know, once you go there, it's hard to go back. I get that. So, um, all right. So then let's talk about, um, well, what else, what other nuances are you finding with axial length or with uh, with just treatment options that have been kind of epiphanies for you before we kind of move on to other things? Uh, so I think that um, you know we've talked about this before. I think that once you have the ability to measure axial length, one of the really great things you can do is add it into uh, routine care for kids. I love to get baseline axial length measurements on these kids. Um, and once you do it repeatedly and you do it enough, you just start to get more of a clinical sense of like, oh, that's a pretty typical axial length for somebody who's a plus two. That's a pretty typical axial length for somebody who's a minus one. Um, and just gaining that sort of um, overall knowledge uh, helps you. I think when you are trying to look at a more complex case or, or a trickier case, um, to just have that sort of like background knowledge. I guess you could, if you wanted to talk about meibomian glands, you could say, well, if you push on every single person's meibomian glands, you know what normal looks like. Yeah, totally. So, you know, um, so it's nice to know what it's like when it's not normal. Um, I had an adult patient last week, two weeks ago, and um, she had uh, some lacquer cracks. And um, she was like a minus, I don't know, minus seven, minus eight, something like that. Um, but I had the staff measure her axial length. I want to know how long her eye was. And it was over 28 millimeters long. Hmm. It's like, whoa, that's a long eye. Like, am I really seeing lacquer cracks here? Sure enough, I am. Oh yeah, that's a 28 millimeter eye. Yeah. <laughs> that's not unexpected. Um, yeah, so it's just really interesting to sort of start to gain that um, overall clinical sense uh, of, of what normal is. Yeah, I think it's so, so I think one of the things that, 
Well, that's that's the biggest thing that I think is a challenge for most. And I know that you, your advocate, you advocate for saying, look, doctors are doctors. They they can get into the complex and they can handle complex. And I completely agree with you. I think the the there's two things that I see that that inhibit docs from really embracing myopia management. And the first one is they get too bogged down in the details yes. uh, and figuring out, okay, if I see this, I don't know what to do. Like, no, I, I always think it's important. Just start as simply as you can integrate a, you know, integrate one thing until you've mastered it and then expand it into other populations. So where I, I guess my jaded sense, when I listen to people talk about the, the necessity of axial length, is like you're already making it too complicated. Like you and I have just rattled off 0.6 millimeter change and, you know, over this period of time and like these different atropine doses. And, you know, most people that haven't thought about it is they're just shutting their brains down. Because even when we prescribe normal medication, I'm telling you, even though we prescribe normal medications, you don't think when you prescribe, um, when you prescribe Lodamax, you're not thinking about the percentage and you're not thinking about having to modify the percentage of it, you know? Yes. I think these people, they're just excited about it, Chris. So no, no, I, just, I get it. I get it. No, they're, they're they are excited. No, I, I look, I, I totally get that. I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say, you know, my whole goal is if we want more people to do it, which I believe you and I agree on that. Yes. Um, you want more, more doctors to embrace this technology. At first we make it as super simple as we possibly can. And then, then I think they pick up on the nuance. So my dream is that, more doctors will start doing myopia management. And if they have to start small, they have to start small. But I think we have to be really careful too um, to give the people, to give people the tools um, to not do such a halfway job that they do it poorly. You know, um, a lot of people say, don't dabble. Okay, if you're gonna do myopia management, commit, have an action plan, and yes, start small, but, but dream towards getting better all the time. Um, I don't expect everybody to go out and buy a topographer and axial length and everything like all at once. I really don't expect people to do that. But my dream is that um, every doctor that is doing myopia management is working towards the day that they can buy their axial length instrument. Um, and I think it's wonderful that we're seeing some combo machines come to market. Yeah. Um, because doctors who are just getting started, if they're going to buy a topographer, um, it's really easy to say, well, let, why don't I just get something that does both topography and axial length? Um, and I think you're going to see a huge uptake of axial length because of those instruments, which is going to be really great. Um, but yeah, I want everybody to hopefully have in their mind that they're working towards getting that axial length instrument. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, yeah, I, I, I would agree with you on that. I, I don't, I don't, disagree with with that scenario and i also don't disagree with the idea that um we want we don't want people to dabble um but i do think i'll still stick to to this is is that in in the sense of like um i I wouldn't necessarily call it dabbling if you start and say look i'm gonna i'm gonna start all my myopes on even if it's if it's a different dose than I, what I would say, but maybe it's 0.25% or, or if you're going to incorporate lamp and it's 0.5%, whichever it is, right? Right. Then uh, if you just say, I'm going to do that, I'm going to offer that to all my patients. I guess I just wouldn't call that dabbling because it's doing more than if you would have just given them a sphere, spherical correction, right? Right. But I would and say- And that could open the door to the confidence of saying, oh, I, why is this person progressing? Hmm. Maybe if I would have an axial length measurement, or I may have seen them three months before, I guess I'm just saying maybe that sort of stimulates additional curiosity. Uh, I would say, Chris, that it is dabbling if they just prescribe atropine and want to see them in a year, which I think- Did I say that? No, you didn't say that. (laughs) You didn't specify a timeline. Right. You just said prescribe atropine. But I think it's really important for docs to get it that you don't just prescribe atropine and see them in a year. No, you're managing a disease that you have to get to that point. You have to get to that point. So it's just like you wouldn't prescribe a glaucoma medication and see the patient back in a year. You're going to, you're going to check back to see that they're not having any side effects and that they're, you know, they're tolerating the medication. Okay. And, and that they're responding yes. to the medication. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm right there with you. So um, let me put in another plug for axial length. If, um, 
if you do have an instrument that can gather um, quickly, easily, and accurately measurements on kids, um, a lot of times you, and I know that you know this because we've talked about this, but I want other people to hear this. Uh, yeah. If you see them um, and they are not as uh, farsighted as you would expect at a young age, and you have a baseline axial length measurement, that's super useful um, because you can say, you know what, rather than waiting and seeing this kid back in a year, they're plus 50, they're, you know, they're five years old and they're plus 50. Um, rather than waiting and seeing them again in a year, how about I see them again in three months or I see them again in six months and I measure their axial length. And so what the studies have shown us is that um, kids will start to, um, their axial length will start to increase um, how quickly it's growing, how quickly it's changing up to three years before they actually transition into myopia. And you will see even quicker acceleration for a full year before they transition into myopia. And so if I've got these little kids and I've got their baseline axial measurements and I've got maybe two or three years worth of data on their axial length measurements. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at them saying, you know, they don't, they don't look like they're as hyperopic as they should be. And wow, look at what that axial length is doing over time. Like it's, it's really changed a lot more in the last six months than it did for the two years prior. I know they're going to transition into myopia. And I think um, it's really cool to say, Hey, mom is minus eight. Older brother is already in ortho K because he was minus two and a half by the time he was six years old. And now little brother is on that same path. And Oh, he's, he's plus a quarter and we're starting him on atropine today. And guess what? If we do a good job and, and he's really responsive to the atropine therapy, like he, he may never um, have any meaningful amount of myopia. Um, and it's, I say that because I have that exact example uh, in my office right now. So I think that's really exciting. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's cool because I think probably the, um, if, if you haven't convinced me yet, I'm playing devil's advocate, but if you haven't convinced me about the pure measurement of axial length, what all of this does is it actually allows you to start the conversation really early with the parents because so much. It, yeah, because it does, you know, the hardest part about myopia management in today's world is that most people aren't doing it. I mean, I don't know, I, I could be completely wrong, but I would say um, in, in our circle of people that, that we know, there's probably a couple people. I mean, right. in, in, in a city like Omaha, where there's, let's say a hundred eye care providers, there's probably a handful and maybe that's being generous that are actually really taking this um, and, and like really embraced it in terms of their practice philosophy. So I say that to say that if that's the case, then if, if, if it's Cheryl Chapman and Chris Wolf and three or four other people talking about it to their patients, then nobody knows about it. You know, how many times do you see a patient and it's like, and it's like, Oh, here we have these other options. Like what you have these other options. Why did anybody, it's like, well, and then, you, you know, you get in this spot where you don't want to throw somebody under the bus, but you're, you know, you want to be, you know, you want to be. Well, um, actually, Chris, my patients say, should I see you or should I see Chris Wolf? And I say, well, Chris Wolf doesn't have axial length. So you definitely want to see me. <laughs> uh, but realistically, but realistically, Chris, um, I've been talking to my patients about this long enough now that, totally they, right. know, that they know that I'm going above and beyond and they know that I'm the one they want to be talking to about this because they know everything that I'm doing. Um, and they've gotten that message. Um, you know, and, and here's another plug for axial length. Patients don't know what a diopter is. They have absolutely no idea. They might have an idea of a number that they find on their contact lens box, but it's very difficult for them to conceptualize what a diopter is. But if you talk to them about a unit of measurement that is a millimeter, they understand what a millimeter is. So yes, it makes it very easy to have that conversation with a patient um, or the patient's parent and have them actually be able to follow along and understand, oh, well, I don't want my eyes to get longer. And we measure them in millimeters and this is the millimeter measurement today. And this was the millimeter measurement three months ago. Um, it's not unusual for me now to see um, some of these young kids back in three months or six months simply for... Uh, refraction and axial length measurement to see if they're progressing. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that brings me to, I think, probably number two. And you probably know what, what I think about number two is the hardest, the other reason that myopia management is hard to uptake, which is how do I make, how do I, how do I make it work in my practice from a financial standpoint? Yeah. I mean, that's the other deterrent. And, um, and I think the cool part about it is I, I really, I, I believe there are more, more than one ways to integrate this into a practice to make it so that patients benefit and, um, and you're not, uh, and the practice benefits as well, right? I think there are more than way, one ways to do that. And I actually think most people probably make it more, more complicated than it needs to be. So tell me your method and tell me, you know, how you're, you're kind of follow, following those patients and, um, and how, you know, what, what are you going to charge? Cause that's the first thing everybody's thinking. If they don't do this, well, you're going to see them back in three months. Do I charge a comprehensive exam? Do I charge them a refraction? Do I charge them for an uh, A scan, a topography? Do I bill their insurance? I mean, that's, that's going through everybody's minds as you say. Right. That. Yeah. It's really challenging. And, um, it's, it's all, it's, always a work in progress. And I have evolved um, over time trying different things out. Uh, I will tell you when I started, I started with like a one-year global fee, one-year contract. Um, and I did that because I really wanted to um, make it very clean and um, make it so that uh, people were not um, encouraged to skip follow-up visits because they've already paid for it all up front. Um, then I switched to a two-year contract because I wanted to have just a longer um, period of time before I was asking people for money again. Uh, and I wanted to have more time to do more complex ortho K fits because sometimes it takes a while before you get that patient really finalized. Um, and actually just recently, uh, in part due to some of the conversations that we have had, um, we have sort of reworked our fees just within the last couple of weeks um, hmm. where... I'm not doing it entirely like you are, but um, we are breaking it into um, payments where mm -hmm. um, our overall profitability is really quite similar, but the patients aren't um, paying the whole fee up front. Um, they're paying a, a chunk up front and then they're paying um, for each of their follow-up visits. Um, with OrthoK, it's a little bit different because they're not paying um, for that one day, one week or one month visit. Um, but they're in their pain for their three, six and nine month visits. Um, and one of the reasons we did that was because, you know, patients would often ask, do you have a financing option? And we would say, well, yes, we do. It's care credit. And um, people just don't want to sign up for care credit. Um, they, they don't want to have their credit score checked. They don't want to take on a new credit card. Um, and especially this year. I've seen it more so this year. I think people are just really freaked out by everything that's going on. Um, and so we are still kind of front loading that cost a little bit to cover our cost of goods on the lenses and things like that. Um, but we are allowing them to um, pay a little bit of piecemeal uh, when they come back for their follow-up visits. And that way, if they don't end up coming back, um, we haven't lost out on a ton of money. Um, so we'll see how that goes. If I find that we're just getting really poor compliance on follow-ups, I may have to rework it again. Do you, so, but, I, but if you, I mean, from a, so I think there's two things to that. I, Cause I, I, I like that story. I didn't know that by the way. I didn't know that. No, you, that's you the adjusted. first time I told you. Yeah. And I think, um, cause I know you and I have talked about it and I, and I, I, uh, I really, I don't, I don't think it's the necessarily the right way, but I, you know, one of the hard parts with all of this is that you, if you want to make it accessible to patients, you also have to make it workable in your practice. But if you do those two things, they sometimes don't always work out. But in a, in a model like you're describing, I think it does tend to probably work. It, I would assume that it would probably work more. I mean, you know, I've got, I'll have three kids in braces. Um, well, I have three kids in braces or have had, so my, my oldest daughter is out of them, but, um, and our orthodontist that, you know, she's got a fee, um, but it's basically, it's a payment plan. So if you wanted to, it's a payment plan. And um, she didn't even give, like, she didn't even give a time of service savings. If we said, look, we'll pay you all of it right now. What's that worth? And they're like, no, we don't do that. And we're like, you wouldn't take this money right now and give us it. And then they finally were like, okay, we'll do that. You know? And, but it, it wasn't that much, yeah. but I think my, my point is that like, that's how they were set up is like, okay, you're going to, it's going to be a, a treatment of two years. And then it, it was, I don't know, 
whatever that was. And, and then they were going to split it up over a monthly payment. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for that because you can tell that patient right up front. And, you know, I guess if our kids stopped going for their braces and we just let them, you know, then, uh, you know, I think they, they we wouldn't expect that their outcome would be very good. You know what I mean? Right. right. Yeah. I mean, that's so I, I do like to compare ortho K to orthodontia. Um, uh, and I often make that analogy to patients because I think it's easier for them to wrap their heads around it. Uh, it's really funny. I had a patient actually say to me, I guess everything that starts with ortho is just expensive, huh? And I was like, yep, pretty much. (laughs) So, uh, uh, but my orthodontist does that too, where they're like, all right, this is your total cost. And here, go talk to our business lady and she'll help you set up your payment plan. And yeah. Um, it's nice because then for families who have HSA or FSA, then they can use that and they're going to be putting money, you know, in there again at the beginning of the year or throughout the year. Um, and so they can keep filling up their HSA and then keep paying it out of their HSA. Um, you know, so I think it, I am hoping, I mean, that's the whole reason I reworked it, Chris, is because, um, I really do want myopia management to be accessible to more people. But at the same time, it still has to be can't profitable. Do it for free. Yeah, I know. Or can't do know. it for free. It's too hard. Yeah. Uh, doctors won't want to put in the time to learn it well if it's not going to make them money. Yeah. And I think that's, and so that's, you know, that's my shtick, right? Is like, is like, if I can just show a doctor how this is, how, how you have the time, if you build those fees the right way, Mm-hmm. It can be affordable to the patient and you have the time built in to learn how to do it really well. Like learn how to do it like Cheryl Chapman does it. Don't learn how to do it like Chris Wolf does it. And then you've got the time built in there. You know what I mean? And, uh, and that's where I think people miss the boat is they, they, um, they think about it and they're looking immediately. They price it just high enough where they're like, oh, this is more than I would have made. But then as soon as it becomes challenging for them to do, like they get to a, a challenging case, then they're kind of like, oh, this is really tough. And I don't know if it's worth my time. Yeah. We're getting a little bit of feedback here. I think you- we missed all of your best points. <laughs> I oh, don't really? I am. Oh. Was it, was it the point I made about being better like Cheryl Chapman and not being like Chris Wolf? <laughs> yeah, I caught that. Uh, Chris, I think you're doing a fine job with myopia management. Uh, <clears throat> Thanks. So, Not working. I, uh, I'm hearing you off and on. I don't know. It's like a truck driver is going by. Um, okay. So I guess I would ask you the question, do you feel like it's better to break it into pieces where they pay at follow-up visits when they come back? And then if they miss a follow-up visit, they don't pay for that follow-up visit. Or do you think it's better to say, this is a global fee, but we're going to let you make monthly payments on it? I, I think I like them both. That's, that's a walking the fence. I like them both. But I, I, mine, is the, mine is the first way that you described. So it's different than yours. And the reason I like that method is that I treat it like, it's, it's like another eye disease. You know, if I, if I have a patient that's not different than mine. That's how I'm doing it. That's, that's my new oh. way that I'm trying right now is oh, to, not to um, make payments over time, but to make basically fee for service fee for service. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it yeah, so, also does spread it out over time for them by doing it that way. Yes. And my profitability, if they come to all of their visits ends up being about the same. Yeah, actually. Yeah. So that's, that's how I like, I, that's the model that I like. Um, the, it's essentially very similar, uh, except that like you could, if they had a payment plan, you might be charging them every month or, you know, every quarter or something like that. But, um, but I still think that you have to, you'll front load some of your work so that if the patient doesn't come back, um, for a follow-up, you've already, you've already generated the revenue for that expertise and experience to, to get them to the point of having that. But if they say, you know, it's just not worth my time to come back at the, at the three, six or nine month, but I'm going to come back at the year. Okay. Well, it didn't, it, I wasn't at the time, you know, as long as I did, I had the availability for the appointment. Um, maybe I couldn't have titrated their care well enough or as well as I otherwise would have, but that same thing happens in other disease states. And yeah. yeah. So the reason I decided to go with the fee for service was because a lot of times once I've had a patient in um, uh, myopia management for a couple of years, and I've seen really good stability. 
sometimes I stop seeing them every three months. Sometimes I'm yeah. every six months. Or if I have an adult ortho K patient who is not a progressive myo, uh, I don't really, I don't see them every three months usually. Um, not once we get them established. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that when people think through what we're talking about here, um, I hope that they, they can see that, that it's much more accessible, accessible financially for a patient and also reasonable for the practice to, to integrate some of those steps in your, cause you run with kind of the, really the deep or, you know, ortho K myopia managers. Right. Yes. Um, and what's your sense on how they would, how they would view that. Um, fee for service. Yeah. Uh, I know some of them do it and some they of do them it. do global. Yeah. It's mixed. It's a mixed bag. Yeah. And I guarantee that they've tried it more than one way. Uh, yeah. You know, because we're all evolving and we're all trying to figure out what's going to work best for our patient population. This, um, so have you seen yet, have you seen yet that patients are more accepting of that? Too early to tell. Yeah. Like really, literally it's happened in the last two weeks. Um, so. Yeah. What do you think? Um, oh, I had another, there's another question I was going to ask you about that we had talked about <laughs> that I wanted to follow up before with, but, oh, it just slipped my mind too late i'm what sorry chris was it about how uh i'm better at myopia management than you <laughs> no you made that abundantly clear <laughs> you know i'm joking <laughs> yeah no you know what's what's fun about about um so cheryl i i was thinking about um i i really like to i mean i really like to have a conversation with you for a multitude of re a multitude of reasons one is that i feel like we are um, we are aligned in so many ways, but I also feel like um, you are not afraid to disagree with me in a way that is not um, that doesn't um, like doesn't worry if I'm gonna if if we're gonna like have have hash out some things right. So like I, I guess that's fun because I you're like almost like in that sense it's like well you know. I get some mutual respect from you, but you can dig, you can throw me under the bus a little bit and that's good. I want that, you know? And then it also allows me to kind of say, am I misthinking something here? I wonder what Cheryl would say about that because I don't think that you'd necessarily agree with me right away. Um, and, uh, or even necessarily over time. And I really just value that, uh, you know, that aspect of our conversations and our relationship. Uh well, thank you, Chris. Uh, I feel um, I'm very flattered that you think enough of my opinion uh, to to care if I, <laughs> what I would think about it. So, thank you. No, it's good. It's good. You know, it helps me. It helps me work through things. It, I have really boring conversations when I when I think I'm agreeing with somebody all the time. Not that it's boring to me. I just think, like, you know, I I'm a blowhard. I like to talk, and you know, I like to hear myself talk, probably, and. So it's good to hear like, okay, Chris, that probably doesn't make sense or, you know, that, that works, but how does this work? So anyway, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. I, uh, that's not what I was forgetting to say, but um, <laughs> there was something else that it was about myopia management. And it was about global fees. Um, Insurance. Hmm. Oh, that is what it was. So you, but it's not the way you think I'm going to probably go because I know that you, um, you decided to drop a big insurer, a big managed vision care plan recently. Two. You dropped two of them. Yes. I'm so when, glad. When are you anticipating seeing the, the impact of that where, where you'll actually see a trickle through and yeah. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so I so I, let's, let's ask this cause we're on the topic. What made, what pushed you over the edge and said, I'm done with this. Uh, what pushed me over the edge was when the, one of the vision plans said, well, you can't use your lab anymore mm. and you can't use your products. You have to use our lab and our products. And I was like, you know what? Forget you. It is a great time. There's no time like the present to reinvent ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we already were, you know, at a point when we've got all this stuff going on in our practice that's limiting uh, patient flow. And the last thing I want to do is have an argument with a patient about billing their medical insurance because they're diabetic with a retinal tear, MGD and cataracts. And they want this vision plan 
to cover their exam today. And there's no coordination of benefits. And they're arguing with us and saying that they just want a routine exam. And I'm just like, no, I'm over it. Like, I would rather have patients in my chair. If I can only see X number of patients per day um, and my schedule is pretty full, I'm going to just see the patients where I get paid more and I don't have to argue with them to give them the care I want to give them. I would rather provide quality over quantity any day of the week. And um, it's just when you have a practice where you're doing a lot of medical and you have all of this high-end equipment and high-end technology uh, and you're doing, you know, these exams, they're not 10 minute exams. Right. It's really, it's really hard to be profitable when the insurance pay, uh, company doesn't want to pay you anything. Um, so yeah, we dumped one and then we decided we're going to dump the other one uh, as of January 1st. Uh, and then we're going to be done with vision plans. And uh, you know, I know that there are some doctors that I've listened to um, at Vision by Design Conference um, that have talked about this. And I've always been trying to, you know, pluck up the courage to do it. And I thought, if I'm not going to do it now, I'm never going to do it. So let's let's rip off that Band-Aid and learn how to move forward. Uh, do you have any... Um... So since you've done that, do you have, did you have a real clear plan in place to have a communication with those patients where they, where you were on their plan before and now you're not? And how do they, you know, yeah. How, how do you, how do you achieve that? So we talked about it a lot as a staff and what our plan was going to be. And we elected not to send a letter to our patients. Um, we didn't want to give patients the impression that we don't want to see them. Um, we decided to handle it on a case-by-case -case basis as these patients are coming up due for their exams so that we can tell this patient why we can still see them and how we're going to bill it. Um, and it's going to go to their medical insurance often like it had the previous year, but that their refraction is going to be out of pocket and they can, you know, they can um, submit their out-of-network benefits to get partial reimbursement for that refraction fee. Um, and I think when you do it that way, you have that opportunity to talk to each patient individually so that you can describe their specific situation to them. I believe that if we had sent out a mass email or a mass letter, that we would lose far more patients that way. Um, it's been really interesting um, because we just, I mean, this is very recent. Um, we got rid of that vision plan uh, October 13th. So um, since that time, it's amazing the number of patients who have said, oh, well, well, then why am I paying for that? Why, why I'm not going to sign up for that next year. Yeah. Um, and so that's really encouraging when you hear your patients say that. Um, and some, you'll lose some. And yeah. some of them are the ones you want to lose because they're the ones who only wanted what their insurance covered anyways. And so you get rid of a lot of headaches that way. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting uh, and encouraging when you hear patients kind of support you in that way. Um, and saying that they're just going to drop that plan. Um, every year, once a year, we've always done a 50% off sale. And our patients have come to know that. They're always like, are you having that sale again in February? We're like, yep, we sure are. And so um, what we've decided is now that we're dropping all of our vision plans, we're going to hold our sale twice a year. Hmm. So um, what we found during those sales, when you're doing 50% off a pair of glasses, it frequently... Um, was almost the exact same cost to the patient as if they had used vision plan insurance. Um, because a lot of them would come in with their vision plan and say, oh, can I, I want to, you know, take advantage of the sale. And, oh, here's my, here's my insurance. And we're like, well, it's one or the other. So then you'd figure it up to see which way was more beneficial for them. And it was like dollars, just dollars yeah. different. And so we've been telling our patients that too. We're like, hey, you can even still get your glasses with us. If you don't want to, fine, here's your prescription. Go elsewhere. Go to a VS, I'm sorry, a vision plan provider. <laughs> I was trying a not BS, to say that. A VS, yeah, a VS, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, if they want to take their prescription, fine. Um, but if you want to get your glasses with us, you still can. Uh, we're doing this in February and we're going to do it again, I don't know, probably September or whatever. Um, and so if you're not in any big hurry for your glasses, just plan on doing it then. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, the, the, so to play the other side of it and, and the reason that we haven't done that, I mean, well, to be honest, um, my, you know, this, cause you were probably, um, I was there. with my dad when, when they did it. And I think, uh, in retrospect, I think this is what my dad would probably say too, is that they probably made the mistake of when those patients called in 
and wanted to use their plan instead of like really doing what you're doing. And, and, and I don't know how prevalent it was to do it back then, but there wasn't a lot of discussion about it. He was just like, we're done with it. And, um, and so then they dropped it and then they sent him to other providers that were good docs. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I think you might have just purchased the practice or purchased the, I can't so remember what happened. But. What happened, Chris, was your dad dumped one of the vision plans yeah. while he still owned both practices. And, uh, the reason he did it was because that vision plan said, cause he, he didn't want to keep it at the Omaha location. Right. Right. And the vision plan said, no, if you're on it in one place, you have to be on it in both places. Right. right. So then he kicked them to the curb. Right. And so it was definitely to my advantage to be able to watch this Genesis because hmm. I learned a lot. I learned a lot from watching that. Um, and yes, we did end up um, taking that vision plan back when I purchased the practice. Um, and we did it mostly because we just needed to be busier we needed to farm that vision plan for medical patients. And we did that and we did that for years, but now we've got all these medical patients. I don't, I don't want to put up with them anymore, especially as they've gotten harder and harder to work with. You don't want to put up with the vision plan, not the medical patients. That's correct. You know, Oh, I did not want to get rid of my patients. I wanted to get rid of the vision insurance because they were, you know, at a time when optometry has taken such a beating. Oh yeah. by the way, these vision plans, do you think they're still getting their premiums paid by these patients? Yes, they are. And yeah. are they paying out claims? No, they're not. So at a time when it's been a windfall for these vision plans, they decided to really stick it to optometrists. Like shame on them, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, shame on them. it's, yeah, it's, um, so, so here's, here's the reason I think, so I, I'm in that same boat right now where I'm as busy as I need to be. And the amount of patients that actually come to see me that actually get build their vision plan is probably less than, it's certainly less than 20%. It's probably close to 10%. Right. Now that, what that means is that, but, but that's misleading because, and you've heard me talk about this before because, and this is my fear is that um, you talked about, I, I believe that that managed vision care plan becomes a marketing expense. And if you understand how to manage all that stuff in your practice, then those patients have other diseases. And so you get the opportunity to take care of those patients with those other diseases. And so for me, it's still kind of saying, look, I'll do that because, but, but we're being, but we have to be very rigorous and, and, and you're right. Like it, it's almost like they come in droves where most of the time patients um, are great. And then you get these patients and, and Dr. Lindsay has seen this, this handful of patients over the last week or two where it's like you came in and your chief complaint, your five chief complaints were none of them were related to your vision. In fact, you don't even ha- wear glasses at distance or near. Your only complaints were related to, uh, you know, symptoms that you were having related to eye disease. Yeah. And, and, and then they throw a fit because you, you build their medical plan. It's like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, it's like, that's crazy. It's crazy. Like you should, anyway, I, I feel the fact that you're, you kind of have this weight lift off your shoulder because you don't have to have those conversations on the back end anymore, even when you're proactive. I mean, we're very proactive about those conversations with patients and we'll have, you know, and, and it's up to us to explain that to patients and we get no backing from, from the insurance plans. In fact, there's one, and I did a, I did a bonus episode about this and it's, uh, there's an insurance plan that sells additional coverage for diabetes care. Yep. And if you look at the fine print of their, of what it says broadly on their website, that diabetes care, if you have this plan, right, if you have this writer on this vision plan, it, it is secondary to the healthcare plan if the provider is a provider on that medical plan. And yet when the patient calls, we've had a couple patients, well, it's one family in particular, and both of both of the parents have diabetes and, um, and they called this plan. We're a, we're a provider on their medical plan, but the, the, the vision plan threw us under the bus. And, and yeah. we said, look, here is what it says in our contract and on the, you know, on the w- provider website, this is what it says about that, which means we have to submit it to your medical plan first. And then we submit it to your vision plan. And the vision plan said, no, they paid extra for that. that that's what they get. Like, of course, you're just talking to whoever answers the phone at that vision plan. They don't have any idea. Well, but that the, stuff the key is, is so, 
Yeah. The key is if you don't like what they say, you just hang up and call again because you get a different answer every time. Yeah. 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 So I, so I think, I think the, the point for me is that I feel like we've got, we've built up enough systems in place to manage that. And it does typically happen so infrequently that it's still worth it. But, um, but boy, you know, it, it is such a, it's such a, a silly game. Like, you, you know, you get to just the, the beauty of what you're doing does get you, give you the, the ability to just be like, what do you, what, what do I need to take care of here? Right. Like, yeah. I don't, I mean, you know, you got a problem, we're going to fix the problem. And then we just make it, you know, we make it better. And, you know, the, the stuff that we're doing um, in terms of, of, uh, accepting managed vision care plans, uh, I think is working right now for our office. And I do think it, my concern is if I dropped it, what's going to happen to the longevity of a practice where we have new associates that could come in, right? If we're growing and we want a new associate, right. um, how are they going to generate, you know, how are they going to get patients? And also what it does, you know, you and I are hardened, right? Cause we've been in practice for long enough. Um, but you know, I think about what is, what does that do to the psyche of a new doctor, right? Or a relatively new doctor that is, um, you know, believes to their core of, of being able to take care of patients and really wanting to take care of them. But when, when a patient that they just provided really great care for is upset because they, they, uh, they only want their vision plan, which reimburses them one fifth or one sixth of what their value of the service they just got, that's disheartening. You know, it is disheartening. And, and it tears them up. Uh, it was, you know, it's bad for staff morale when you get enough of those patients in a short period of time that just yell at you about um, wanting only what their insurance covers. Um, and yeah, no, so, no, no, only what their vision plan covers. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Well, but yeah. they say they use the insurance, insurance. Of course. So I'm, course. I'm, I'm, I'm repeating what the patients say because um, they don't understand the difference. Um, but what I think you need to think about also, Chris, is staff time and how much time it takes to file vision plan claims um, and how much time it takes, uh, not just the, for services, but also for product. Um, and I swear, it's a whole extra employee, at least. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, and even if you think about the fact that, um, you know, if, if, uh, like maybe I would see half as many patients in my day. Um, and I don't see, you know, you know, me, I don't see a ton of patients every day. You know, we, we, we see a patient every half hour on my schedule, essentially a little bit more than that because we have some extra slots in there, but, um, but I'm not seeing a whole bunch of patients, but, but if I, you know, if I, I would basically be as full as I am now, but if you have an associate that's seeing, let's say half the number of patients that they were seeing, but they're seeing them for four times as much, right then you don't really need even the amount of staff that you have, you know, you right. can run leaner. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I don't, I think there are different models. I, I, I want to explore, I think, you know, the, I, I want to explore your experience in this model, you know, again, in, in the next six months and 12 months, just to kind of keep checking in on it because I think it's interesting. And, um, and I, I hope that it, it I, I think, I, I know you'll do the, you'll do it the right way where people are going to still come to you. I'm, I have no uh, illusions that you won't, but it'll be interesting to see how you do that. Uh, so Chris, uh, I probably have mentioned this to you before, but one of my very favorite books is um, The Pumpkin Plan hmm. by Mike Michalowicz. Have I ever talked to you about this book? No, but he also wrote, what, did he write Profit First? Yeah, he did. He wrote yeah. Profit okay. First. Yep. So The Pumpkin Plan is basically an analogy about um, like how to grow a business versus how do you grow a giant pumpkin? And obviously if you want to take this prize giant pumpkin to the state fair, when you're growing it on the vine, you have to clip off all the other buds and just put all the resources into growing that one um, giant pumpkin. Right? So I look at these vision plan um, insurances as like distractors. And so if I really want to be great at myopia management, and if I really want to be great at dry eye therapies, and I really want to have all these specialty services, I have to get rid of all this crap. I have to get rid of all of the stuff that's trying to take my attention. And so what has been really neat in the last uh, couple months since we dropped uh, the first vision plan is that I have seen staff time freed up to do more stuff with regards to some of our social media presence, 
posting on Instagram, you know, talking about myopia management, creating really great tutorials on OrthoK insertion and care. Um, you know, and so my staff is just like, you know, doing an awesome job of utilizing their, their extra time that they've just been gifted. Um, so it's great. Like that part yeah. of it's great. And I feel like if we, if we don't make a really concerted effort to grow the things that we want to grow, we're just going to be stuck in the same routines that we used to be in. Yeah. So. No, I think this is fun because, um, Again, I think I think you and I get to to have a uh, a back and forth, and some and sometimes I get to change your mind, and sometimes you get to change my mind. And right now, I look at like in terms of my pumpkin, I look at one of the ways that is feeding my pumpkin, right? Feeding to grow that pumpkin bigger is is the managed vision care plans. But I'm not saying that's the only way or even the best way to do it. Uh, I, it's just right now is the is the way I've I've wrapped my mind around, and I I understand that model. Right. I've under, I understand that model of I ha, if I I do have time to be ex, to be as excellent as I can be in some of these other spokes of that of that wheel, but if I take this out, my concern is um, how are we going to continue to add new to it when the first place that those patients might go is a page that tell, tells them who's on their vision plan, even right. though I might be on their medical plan. Yeah. And I get that. I totally get that. Um, and that's why I stayed on those plans for as long as I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, like I said, this year is a crazy year. And if there was no, ever a great. time to try it, now's the time to try it. And if it doesn't work, yeah, I don't even want to utter those words. <laughs> they'll take, I'm sure they'll take you. I'm sure they would. I, I, you know, the funny part is, is that unless they hear this podcast, I'm sure they'll take you back. <laughs> take me back. They would love to pay me nothing. They would love, yeah, they, they would love nothing more than to pay yep. me nothing. <laughs> That's right. You know, I, uh, if, if, yeah. if a patient knew this, this is a crazy part about all that is if a patient knew that they're paying this plan to uh, on the front end or their business is paying this plan on the front end to get the benefit of what they're getting for getting reimbursed for their exam, what the doctor's getting reimbursed for their exam. And then when they actually buy a pair of glasses, how much they're making on that as well. Like, I think people, I, I wish, I wish we just had a really great breakdown of like, oh, okay. So here's, you know, here's your benefits, right? Like um, here's, here's what you've would have paid if you paid out of pocket. Here's what you paid with your plan. And here's what you're paying to your plan. Right. And then this is what we get to keep on the back end of that. Like if you could actually show a patient, like they'd be like, wait, you're, you, I'm actually all this stuff I'm paying. I'm, I'm actually paying to my insurance plan for, you know, something I thought I already paid for. And like, that's not insurance, but, but people don't, they don't think about it and they yeah. love their vision plans. Right. So like, I mean, they think they do. They think anyway. they do. Uh, you know, and that's part of our job right now is educating them on how, if they don't put that money into that vision plan, they can use it at our office and they'll be better off for it. And they're, costs, their out-of-pocket costs are going to be so similar, especially for a lot of these patients who have been medical and we've been, and you know, like you, we've been talking yep. to them forever about, no, this doesn't go to your vision plan because you have this medical diagnosis and it's billing to your medical insurance. Like a lot of our patients have said yes to that and not given us a ton of pushback. And so now our job is to tell them we're going to bill exactly the same way we did before. Um, we just aren't going to, you just aren't going to be able to use your vision plan to get your glasses here, but we have this sale coming up and you're more than welcome to come in, you know, come and get them during that sale. And Oh, by the way, you could just stop paying for your vision plan next year and get all this benefit. And so yeah. a lot of them are like, Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun to think through the different ways of, of communicating about it and, and uh, working through it. And I'm sure you'll have some creative ways to do it. So Cheryl, I'll be respectful of your time. Um, I already haven't been, we've been on for a long time, but uh, thanks for coming on and chatting about this with me tonight. It's been a lot of fun.
Thank you.